Thank you all for being here. Let's uh, get started. My name is Gene Healy. I'm a vice president here at Cato, and I'll be your moderator today. Uh, we're going to be asking, well, among other things, how can limited how can the limited government movement, if there is a limited government movement, recover from the wreckage of the Bush years? Uh, in the book we're going to be discussing today, America's Way Back, Don Devine makes the case for uh, reinvigorating fusionism, uh, a reinvigoration of the Cold War conservative libertarian alliance that, as he puts it, employed libertarian means for traditionalist ends. Uh, the theory, of course, was developed by Frank Meyer, one of the uh, original editors of National Review, although uh, I understand he never much liked the term fusionism. He's usually associated with it. And as Meyer saw it, despite their differences, conservatives and libertarians uh, were actually pretty closely related. They're ideological cousins in a way. Uh, conservatives, particularly traditionalist conservatives, uh, tended to focus on virtue, libertarians on liberty. Uh, but the way Meyer saw it, there wasn't any fundamental contradiction here. Uh, since true virtue has to be freely chosen, you couldn't have virtue without liberty. Uh, and Meyer saw the modern welfare state as one of the biggest enemies of virtue and tradition. And uh, so uh, he uh, joined with the libertarians, like many conservatives, joined with the libertarians in opposing it. And the post-World War II right was uh, in many ways based on this alliance, as, and at its best it did indeed incorporate uh, you know, advocate libertarian means to pursue conservative ends. But the union that uh, Meyer supported uh, has never been an easy one. Uh, if it's a marriage, it's always been more like Ike and Tina Turner than Ward and June Cleaver. Uh, give you an example of, uh, of how contentious it, it can be when the frying pans start getting thrown around. Uh, in 1961, there was a great uh, shoving match in the New Individualist Review between libertarian Ronald Hamowai, who uh, has spent some time here be, uh, before he passed on a few years ago, and William F. Buckley. And Hamowai accused the editors of National Review of, quote, a devotion to a hierarchical warlike statism and a fundamental opposition to human reason and individual liberty. Buckleyites, he said, were advocates of the conservatism of pharaonic Egypt, of medieval Europe, of the Inquisition, uh, the conservatism of the rack, the thumbscrew, the whip, and the firing squad. And that was years before John Yoo. <laughs> Uh, on Tuesday, I went to a, a memorial service for my favorite professor, a guy who meant a lot to me, uh, Georgetown University's George Carey. Uh, and he was not a libertarian. He was a traditionalist conservative. And he edited my favorite edited collection on this perennial debate. Uh, it's called Freedom and Virtue, the Conservative Libertarian Debate. And in it, there are, I've been looking at it in the last week or so, thinking about this event. And in it, there are essays on fusionism uh, from most of the leading lights of uh, conservatism and libertarianism, respectively. Uh, Robert Nisbet, Frank Meyer himself, 
uh, Murray Rothbard, Mr. Libertarian, and Mr. Conservative, Russell Kirk. And in his essay, in, the, in this book that Professor Carey edited, Kirk writes that the representative libertarian of this decade is humorless, intolerant, self-righteous, badly schooled, and dull. And he asks rhetorically, why was a, a, an alliance of conservatives and libertarians inconceivable? And answers, because genuine libertarians are mad, metaphysically mad. Lunacy repels, and political lunacy especially. I do not mean that they are dangerous. They are repellent merely. The sort of people who give healthy folk the willies. That essay is entitled, A Dispassionate Assessment of Libertarians. <laughs> In an earlier edition of, of the, the collection, uh, Professor Carey uh, included a different, somewhat more passionate and more insulting version uh, of uh, Kirk's argument, uh, one in which Kirk said, the perennial libertarian, like Satan, can bear no authority, authority temporal or spiritual. The devil was the original libertarian. So Kirk was not a libertarian, and uh, <laughs> neither was uh, Professor Carey. Uh, I'll never forget when I was a student of his in the 90s, he made a case that the citizens of Athens really had a point when they uh, gave Socrates hemlock. Uh, and yet, I think uh, in his career, he himself, George Carey, provided a pretty good case for fusionism. Uh, we kept in touch after I, I graduated, uh, but you know, we lost touch a little bit uh, for a few years around the turn of the century. Uh, and when we reconnected in the mid-2000s, I sort of wondered what had happened uh, after 9-11 and whether it had driven my favorite old professor in a, in a more nationalist direction like it did to so many on the right. Um, well, I quickly found out how much the Bush years had radicalized him. He'd come to fully uh, embrace libertarian critiques of the national security state. Uh, he told, he said to me, and this is close to a direct quote, I want, and I'm very serious about this, I want to see Bush and Cheney impeached, removed from office, and put on trial as war criminals. And to, to hear this from a guy who's, uh, uh, you know, as gentlemanly and temperamentally conservative as uh, George Carey was uh, a little bit like uh, hearing Jimmy Stewart uh, curse a righteous blue streak. And uh, Professor Carey uh, also blurbed uh, Don's book, calls it uh, a brilliant analysis of the major factors that have contributed to our nation's decline, a very timely effort on perhaps the most critical issue of our time. And that by itself, all by itself, is a good enough recommendation for me. Um, I think we've uh, got a lot to talk about today and uh, two great panelists to lead the discussion. Our first speaker is, of course, the author himself. Uh, and uh, Donald Devine has impeccable conservative credentials. Uh, he's a veteran of the, the Reagan campaign. He served as the head of the administration's Office of Personnel Management. Uh, the Washington Post, in a profile, labeled him the terrible swift sword of the civil service and noted that 
At the mere mention of his name, federal workers grit their teeth and express fear and loathing. Uh, he was also a, an early and vocal critic of the George W. Bush administration for its uh, for enabling massive government growth, uh, which he said is fueled by neoconservative dreams of empire and which threatens the whole project of American liberty. Uh, just music to my ears. So uh, please welcome Don. Thank you very much, Gene. Uh, it's great to be here uh, at Cato. Um, uh, originally, we were going to be uh, in a room uh, for my favorite philosopher, uh, Frederick Hayek, uh, but uh, uh, got something to say about him later. But let me uh, first, uh, uh, although I do many of these things in Washington. I see a lot of new faces here, so some old ones too, uh, age-wise and <laughs> friend-wise. Gene uh, um, mentioned the uh, my uh, um, uh, thing that I'm best known for. I was quarter a century a professor of uh, political science, but was really uh, uh, my four years uh, with Reagan during his first term uh, uh, when, uh, contrary to many theories, uh, uh, um, Reagan uh, changed uh, the country and a lot of the world uh, by cutting back on government. Uh, uh, most people, when they talk about Reagan uh, cutting government, uh, they usually say he didn't because they look at the figure that shows uh, the total growth with with uh, defense and non-defense. But Reagan didn't come in to uh, cut the defense budget. Uh, he came in because he said uh, we, we need to increase it so we can win the, the Cold War, which he did. Uh, and it could have been done messy, but as... Margaret Thatcher said he did it without firing a shot. Uh, that's the secret uh, to me. But if you look at non-defense discretionary spending, um, uh, Ronald Reagan is the only president uh, who uh, reduced uh, uh, non-defense discretionary spending, not relatively, but absolutely uh, over his uh, four, uh, eight years by 9.5%. Uh, um, even including entitlements. He took it down, down relatively from 17.6 uh, to 15.5, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, percent uh, uh, of GNP, even including uh, uh, a domestic uh, part of government, uh, uh, even including entitlements. Uh, uh, I remember when he called me up and he said, Don, I got a job for you. I said, what is it? He said, I want you to be the head of uh, OPM, the Office of Personnel Management. Uh, OPM, my son used to call it opium. Uh, uh, I said, uh, well, what do you want me to do? He said, uh, I want you to uh, 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 be my chief bureaucrat. And I said, that's kind of a funny thing to do for a kind of libertarian conservative like me. And he says, well, I got a sense of humor. And I said, well, uh, 
What do you want me to do? He said, well, I want you to cut back the number of non-defense employees by uh, about 100,000. I want you to uh, reduce their bloated benefits, and I want you to make them work harder. I said, thanks a lot, gonna make a lot of friends in this job. Uh, and I always remember what Harry Truman used to say, doing a job in Washington, you need a friend in Washington, buy a dog. So I bought two of them, kind of be on the safe side. Uh, uh, and we did it. We did cut back 100,000 uh, non-defense employees. Uh, uh, I did uh, save OP, uh, OMB uh, uh, certified $6 billion, which is about $60 billion today. Uh, uh, and we put in a paper performance system. We, uh, we actually did make them work harder. Uh, uh, and uh, as Gene mentioned, uh, they call me a lot of names in the process. Uh, frankly, I loved it. The more names they called at me, the better. I mean, I was in there, in the greatest thing of my life, taken down the side of the government. Uh, I'm here to, to talk about the philosophy that uh, drove Ronald Reagan, and he was uh, very direct in, in what it was. Uh, uh, he was very closely associated with the beginning of the conservative movement in, uh, in New York around the magazine uh, National Review. Uh, uh, he was in constant touch with uh, Buckley and Meyer and many of the other authors. Uh, um, and you know, before Hayek wrote his book in the 40s, there was no such thing as conservative. When I, even when I went to graduate school, which is a long time ago for most of you, the, the top political science book was there no conservative tradition in America. Uh, it's all progressive. Uh, um, Hayek wrote his book and uh, uh, Buckley read it, Meyer read it, uh, uh, turned Meyer from being a communist, uh, 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 and not just intellectually, he was an apparatic, uh, apparatchik uh, of the, Communist Party of the U.S. Uh, they got together in New York, uh, and they had everyone, and this is literally true, from an anarchist to a monarchist, uh, putting together this magazine. And they kind of, uh, through discussion and debate about uh, trying to produce some kind of coherent uh, enterprise magazine, came up with the uh, this fusionism, which later on they found out uh, goes back to the beginning of Western civilization, uh, but they didn't realize it until after they had kind of invented it. The center of that, as uh, Gene said, is this idea of uh, using libertarian means for traditionalist ends. Uh, uh, I kind of saw this as a Strike a lightning in uh, 1960 uh, when I read Hayek's Constitutional Liberty, uh, uh, which is uh, still a pretty solid book. Uh, and on page 61, I read something that really changed my whole life uh, when he said, paradoxical as it may appear, it is probably true that uh, a successful free society will always, in large measure, be a tradition-bound society. Uh, uh, 
This is the first real putting of this fusionist idea in mind, although it's usually identified with, with Meyer. Uh, uh, as Gene said, uh, Meyer didn't like the term. In fact, one of his big opponents was the one who uh, gave the term fusion uh, in disparagement. Uh, uh, um, but this idea that a free society rest and needs uh, tradition to support it. Uh, uh, Hayek uh, 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 was a great believer in tradition and common law, common sense, uh, 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 as essential to creating the, the free society. Uh, and I try to look at this question of means and ends uh, and uh, as I'm here today, I'll kind of give my pitch to libertarians, uh, which I normally, uh, or when I'm with traditionalists, I do it the other way. But, but with libertarians, the thing I'd like to do and what I try to challenge you with in, in my book is I would argue that the, the problem with traditionalists uh, is... Uh, uh, ends so drive them that they almost don't care what the means are. I would argue that the problem with libertarians is that they too often confuse means and ends. Uh, uh, libertarianism as an end, uh, uh, as I try to argue in the book, is really just another variant of progressivism. Uh, uh, if you know clearly uh, what society looks like, what freedom looks like as an end, uh, 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 then you're going to end up with, I think, the same problem as, as the progressives, which is you're going to call on the state to do most of your business. I'm kind of thinking of this today, I went to the Institute for Humane Studies website uh, which supported me many years ago. I'm a big fan of theirs. And they gave a couple of definitions of libertarianism. The first one was by David Friedman. Uh, and his definition, that people should be permitted to run their lives as they wish. That is what libertarianism is about. Well, there's something very strange about that state. What do you mean should be? Uh, uh, how does uh, the should uh, get done? Uh, it's interesting that they follow that one with, uh, the, I think he's still executive vice uh, president or uh, David Boa's definition. And he changes it uh, uh, or modifies it. He said, uh, 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 people should be permitted to run their lives as a wish, but adds, as long as they respect the equal rights of others. Uh, and that is an enormously important addition, it seems to me, uh, because the first statement kind of assumes that you're going to do it and have it you want. But the problem, as I see humanity, is there are other people. I mean, you could do anything you work if you're all alone, but the problem is there's other people. And once there are other people, everything changes. Uh, you can't do everything you want. So David, uh, and we've been debating these issues for 
40 years. Uh, 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 David is correct that you need to answer, uh, add that second part of the definition. But once you add in others, it gets really complicated. Uh, and you can't do everything you want to do because other people want to do other things that they want to do and they get in your way, uh, even if there's no coercion at all. And the, they just get in your way. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and as Locke says, the problem is, is you get more and more people to more and more people, and things get very unsafe, very unsecure, so, so you, you, you got to go to government. And even in the most libertarian point of view, you, 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 if you call yourself a libertarian, it means you're not an anarchist, right? So it means you, something different. You want to call yourself an anarchist, you want to be an anarchist, that's fine. But if you call yourself a libertarian, you're not an anarchist. Uh, presumably, so you recognize government. But once you recognize government, all this property law gets thrown in the mix. Uh, and you got to make all kinds of complicated decisions. Is this a correct uh, 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 rule for property? And it gets really complicated. And uh, um, But... Uh, as my friend Justin uh, Romando said, there's even a bigger complication than all this property law that brings the government in big foot in big ways. Uh, uh, and that is that individuals, uh, a lot of things that are individuals aren't really individual, or at least we don't know. We have this whole debate about abortion, you know, is that a, an individual or not, all right? Well, let's not take that one. Let's, let's even take uh, a, a simpler case, children, all right? These aren't really full uh, adults. Uh, and, uh, and what I call pure libertarians kind of pretend there's no such thing as children. Uh, uh, Romando, who is... Uh, 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 very libertarian, I've always thought. Uh, uh, he's a proud uh, 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 gay. Uh, but he says, once you add children in this, the problem of coercing children, which is so easy to do. I mean, you got them in your house, you can beat them up, people don't even see them. Uh, so the problem of coercion with children is an enormous problem that complicates this libertarian plan of ever, uh, everybody doing them. In fact, uh, he says uh, the libertarians have really got caught on this whole gay marriage thing. I mean, what they're going to do is the state is necessarily going to be involved to limit coercion against children. That's why I have all these laws limiting uh, marriage and all that. Once uh, gays get into uh, marriage, they're going to fall under all these regulations for something that uh, they don't do. Uh, uh, have children, they can adopt them, of course. But so the, the point is that the state uh, uh, drags you into this, this issue. So it seems to me that the, pro, the critical issue is how do you deal with the question of means? Uh, 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 
How do you deal with freedom as a means? Now, if you say freedom is we've got to live any, the way we want it, or you have an idea, it means a uh, uh, certain kind of lifestyle. Uh, uh, well, okay, but what kind of means are you going to use? Uh, and it seems to me that the, the most libertarian, kind of bizarre, almost anarchical uh, uh, set of rules to do this is our Constitution. Uh, I don't have enough time to go in here. I try to do in the book, but uh, my basic argument about the Constitution is nobody's in charge. You look at the Constitution, they have Congress and president and courts. Uh, they fight around each other to decide what it, it all means. Uh, uh, they have states, they add to the complex, they have an amendment process. They could even take down the Bill of Rights. I mean, this is a system no one's in charge. Well, unfortunately, a lot of libertarians don't like that. What they want to do is to have somebody in charge who's going to make it all work out so that we're all going to be free. So what do they do? They try to make the, uh, the Supreme Court the, the, the body that settles all day when president and Congress argue or the states and the feds argue, well, you go to the court and you have the, the court uh, decide what the Constitution really means. First of all, I'd say that is not consistent with what the, the real Constitution is. Uh, 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 but secondly, and more important to libertarianism, uh, it's a very state of solution. It's kind of worse than a pure democracy uh, uh, without any uh, limits uh, uh, at all to it. Uh, I mean, you're giving it to a group of nine people, all of whom are from uh, elite Ivy League colleges, and they decide everything at the end of the day? Well, that doesn't sound very libertarian to me. Uh, the genius of the Constitution is the Tenth Amendment to me. We give a certain group of functions to the feds, basically in Article I, Section 8. Everything else is reserved to the states or the people, individuals. Uh, uh, that system uh, limits, in theory, what the feds can do, uh, uh, and uh, in theory puts everything back uh, there, but uh, to individuals that isn't there. Uh, and most of our society is private, uh, although government keeps getting more and more regulatory, obviously. Uh, um, but the courts are not the last word on the Constitution. Uh, those of you who are academic want to look, look up an article by a guy named Robert Dahl, D-A-H-L, uh, done a long time ago in which he shows all the cases where Congress has overridden the Supreme Court. Uh, um, and uh, I'm running over how long I should talk, so I won't go into the specifics, but that happens all the time now. The Civil Rights Restoration Act uh, of, uh, what was it, 19... Uh, 88, uh, 
overruled a Supreme Court decision explicitly. The 1991 civil rights mentioned specifically five Supreme Court's decision it was overruling. Uh, no, this system doesn't have nine star chamber members that run the, the whole society to decide uh, how to keep us free with rights. Uh, the, our safety is separation of powers. It's, to me, the only true libertarian principle is uh, separating powers and then uh, uh, try to limit the government uh, uh, and uh, fight it out. We're not guaranteed, uh, contrary to David, uh, uh, that we can do what we want. We have to set up systems uh, uh, that allow us to be free. Uh, and uh, this, this Constitution, which has no center to it, uh, is very difficult to uh, justify. I'll, only justified by the fact it's the longest constitution in the history of the world, uh, and it's still going as bad as it goes, but as good as it goes. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Don. We're uh, very happy to have as our featured commentator, Matt Welch, who is the editor-in-chief of, of Reason magazine, has been in that post since 2008. He's also the co-author with Nick Gillespie of the Declaration of Independence, uh, How Libertarian Politics Can Fix What's Wrong with, um, with America, which Tyler Cowen has called the up-to-date statement of libertarianism, and the author by himself of McCain, The Myth of a Maverick, which is also a terrific book. I relied, it, I relied on it heavily during the depressing 2008 campaign. Uh, so, uh, and he's also, he, he is, uh, well, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, I think it's fair to say he has a more skeptical uh, uh, perspective on fusionism and the Libertarian Conservative Alliance. So please welcome Matt. Thanks, Gene. Thanks, y'all, and uh, Don as well. Um, I, before I get into uh, heightening the uh, contradictions uh, between my vision, vision of fusion or fusion of vision and, and uh, Don's, I want to um, give a few words about why this book is worth reading and some of the insights that you can get there. Um, he lays out in very bracing and crisply written form kind of the current crisis. Um, I especially appreciated, and I uh, assume that uh, quite a few of my compadres at Cato also will, uh, the kind of recounting of uh, the 2008 September freakout by a lot of people who otherwise call themselves free market uh, conservatives, that they had to destroy capitalism in order to save it, um, particularly uh, some uh, choice sneering quotations from the Wall Street Journal editorial board, which uh, should live uh, in their infamy for a long time. Um, as you could uh, probably detect from his sort of history of his involvement in the Reagan administration, his insights into bureaucratic workings and administrative workings is fascinating. It's just, it's, it's uh, something that you won't know unless you read it, uh, including the intellectual history of this. And this is kind of important uh, from Europe, 19th century, early 20th century, how kind of the scientific bureaucratization project started and the intellectual roots of that is all really interesting to read. Um, you know, very gratified to see uh, any conservative or any person talk about uh, some of the abuses that we've seen in this country right now with, uh, you know, immunity of police officers and judges and lawmakers and everybody else. And 
what that's done to our criminal justice system. Um, and I think that there is something that people like me need to take as a properly applied slap to the face, which is that I've been an independent my whole life. Uh, Nick Gillespie and I wrote a book called The Declaration of Independence with a TS, um, where we have stressed for a long time, you know, to hell with this coalitions and to hell with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. It's all about us searching our own kind of, um, you know, philosophical lights. And you can't depend on, you know, any faction for being particularly hospitable libertarianism. I think we overplayed our hand a little bit, or at least we went too quickly to assume that there wouldn't be a more hospitable place for libertarianism. I understand how we got there. Um, George W. Bush helped a, a whole lot, as did his vice president. Um, but I think any objective analysis of major party politics and, uh, and libertarianism over the last five years has to admit that the action right now is uh, in the Republican Party. There is a thing called the Liberty Movement. It doesn't contain a lot of Democrats. There are some interesting civil liberties coalitions going on with the left right now, and we'll probably talk about that later. But um, the, you know, as Jonah Goldberg has pointed out to me in debates over fusionism, because we, yes, we do like to talk about this stuff. Um, you know, the conservative economists are libertarian economists. Conservatives all know who Hayek and Milton Friedman are. Um, and to the extent that Democrats do, it's usually um, yeah, figures of uh, hate and uh, toxicity. Um, so my question more is, um, it's, it is interesting and worthwhile to know that there is this history of fusionism and we can kind of quibble how strong it is and if it goes back to Athens or if it goes back here and there. But I guess my biggest question about it is, and so what? What do we do with this bit of information? Um, and also, how do we find, define traditionalism? In the book, Don talks a lot about it as sort of being Judeo-Christian values um, that emanate from the moments when Jesus said, give under Caesar what is Caesar's, or I mangle a quote because I'm a libertarian, um, but uh, <laughs> that that created this uh, interesting split between uh, you can have this personal religious space that's untethered from the state. Uh, the state. So this uh, sort of gave rise to modern individuality. And since then, we've had this great tension between individualism and tradition, and that that tension is the kind of creative font of our freedoms and all that is good, and that we should keep that tension alive. That, I think, is essentially the argument of the book. You can dispute that if you'd like. Um, uh, but then that gives rise to the, the question of, well, what is tradition um, in whose name or you know, who is invoking it and what should we do about that? Should we sort of add kindling to tradition to make sure that's still there? Um, from my perspective, uh, as someone who is trying to you know, talk about issues that we're dealing with right now, tradition, people speaking in the name of tradition and just traditionalists themselves um, are sometimes allies and so sometimes they're obstacles. Um, and um, and I think that the normal kind of bottom-up way of dealing with our modern problems is just to recognize that as such and be allies with them when they're on your side and not when they're not. Um, you know, if you think about issues that are of importance to me right now, like, okay, I would love to see marijuana decriminalized, legalized in this country. And I think the drug war is a huge blight on our society. Looking to top-down political coalitions is not how that is being undone. Politicians are useless about this. Um, it's been bottom up. It's been the use of people who are using the um, the initiative process in Western states 
Um, and it's, it's been unusual coalitions. Traditionalists haven't been of great help. Uh, many people, I mean, William F. Buckley, who's a hero in the book, you know, and who's a, a giant 20th century figure, everyone has to agree, I think. Um, you know, at the same time, here's the guy who reacted to the Beatles when they arrived as on the scene as anti-music that every good person must reject and all this kind of stuff. He ended up being a friend of John Lennon's later in life, but there is a... Uh, a desire too often among people speaking in the name of traditionalism to use that as a cudgel of having majoritarian restrictions on alternative lifestyles or people who are in the minority in their expressions or in life. Um, so for me, respecting traditions, and I think libertarianism, you know, I think it's a bit of a straw uh, argument to say that uh, you know, libertarians are in search of this pure libertarianism which uh, too often is a rejection of traditionalism. I think that's kind of the opposite. I mean, uh, from my perspective, at least in Reason Magazines, is that freedom allows us to choose tradition or to choose religion. We have a great free market religion in this country and the, in the much more fervor than you see in the countries of Europe, which it's more kind of state and, and circumscribed. Uh, uh, I think that's all to the good. Um, part of libertarianism is the freedom to choose and go uh, where you want to go. Um, so for me, you know, is Rick Santorum more my uh, ally or is Ron Wyden more of my ally? You know, it depends on what issue you're talking about. If you're talking about opposition to the national security state and a rampaging foreign policy, which has been over the years fueled a lot by people speaking in the name of tradition. I mean, think about any car commercial during an all-star game, it's going to be sort of uh, um, uh, the trucks and flags and uh, flyovers by, uh, by uh, aircraft. Uh, in, you know, people talking after 9-11 uh, specifically were fusing traditionalism and nationalism with militarism in a way that I think was genuinely unhelpful to liberty. So I don't think that the solution to our current political problems or impasse is necessarily um, choosing a coalition and sticking to it and, and, uh, and living it. He talks about in the book and his conclusion, especially how we must kind of honor this and we have to create, I think how he uh, describes um, as a protective strata, right? Like a, a, a group, a almost elite group uh, looking um, and sharing some common beliefs of various things. I think actually the opposite is kind of more true, which is that um, when we disaffiliate from groups um, as, we see in our own lights, we can go issue by issue and actually solve things outside of the realms of the political process using these uh, techniques that we have learned in the private sector. He talks in this book about how using a, a homeschooling uh, population, I think there's two million homeschooling uh, people here, as, as like uh, instruments of a potential political coalition. My view is I don't want to see people as instruments, first of all. Second of all, um, if anything, it's a demonstration project of what freedom can be. People who are choosing an alternative lifestyle um, can apply pressure and show as a demonstration project that you can do a better system than what the state provides. Um, uh, final works that I want to talk much uh, more um, is that when you talk and venerate or over-venerate, in my view, traditionalism, um, eventually you're going to get to some strange places, I fear. Uh, for me, in the book, The Strangest Place, there's a chapter there that talks about population. And, uh, and uh, Donald worries that Islam has the will to reproduce. Um, and he's very upset or very concerned about um, the West's uh, sort of depopulation or lack of re replacement uh, children. 
I don't feel comfortable looking around and worrying that my compadres are not breeding enough uh, and that uh, people from basically poor countries are overbreeding. I think that can lead you to some pretty weird policy uh, ends. Uh, historically, it's led us to some really bad and, uh, and um, exclusionary policies in this country, that type of thinking. So I think you have to be careful of where veneration of tradition gets you or veneration of even Judeo-Christianity. It doesn't bother me that the percentage of Judeo-Christians in America is going down. To me, that means, okay, well, we got a lot of really productive Indians in the Silicon Valley. I've got zero problem with any of that, you know? And I think seeing people as the definition of vitality being birth rates is, uh, is very problematic um, uh, in, in a, lo a lot of different ways. Having said all that, um, it is an important thing to go back and figure out where these intellectual currents do. And I think one of the, the gratifying things about our current political moment right now is that a lot of this is up for grabs. Um, you know, we've seen this rise of the liberty movement within the Republican Party. We see this rise of a kind of bottom-up, bipartisan opposition to foreign uh, military adventurism and also to the national security state and NSA and things like that. Um, that seems to be almost strictly bipartisan against the wishes of the leadership, against the hierarchies of both major political parties and their traditions. I think that's healthy. When we have this kind of flux, uh, when ideas are actually being debated and they're up for grabs, I think it's helpful to the democracy and helpful to the various coalitions within it. And with that, I will thank you for your attention and I think we'll take some questions. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Don, if you uh, want to... Uh uh, have brief response to anything Matt said, and then we'll yeah, I'll just uh, be uh, quick and actually, I agree with most of what he said. Uh, kind of what he uh, didn't like or disagreed with was kind of the question of children, um, uh, and kind of assuming it doesn't matter uh, what the population looks like. Uh, to me, it's, uh, and I'm not upset. I purposely did that chapter not to evaluate whether it's a good thing or a bad thing in terms of uh, Islam, uh, but uh, that it's a fact. Uh, and, uh, uh, and a lot of good things about uh, Islam and the great overwhelming majority of good people. Uh, but this concept of freedom does not connect with that culture. And it makes a difference who the children are uh, that are going to come and with what cultural ideas they come with. Uh, uh, this freedom idea, and the reason I spend so much time on history, uh, uh, is this is a unique thing to the West, this idea of freedom. I mean, everybody else thinks it's nuts. Gene mentioned uh, uh, that I was an early opponent of the Iraq war. I went actually over there uh, uh, and looked at the, uh, uh, the situation over there. And it seemed to me obvious. This we, we had, by the time I got over there, we had already gone in. Uh, uh, and it seemed obvious, first of all, that we needed to get out uh, quickly. And interesting, almost all the military, I went sponsored by the Department of Defense, so you got to meet all the top uh, people. Uh, 
uh, that was a personal friend of Rumsfeld. That's how I got on there, being from the other side. But um, first of all, the generals all wanted to get out. The Rumsfeld wanted to get out uh, uh, till Bush came up with this great idea of turning everybody into Western Democrats. Uh, it didn't quite work. But the interesting thing was meeting with the uh, uh, the leaders of uh, uh, Iraq leaders, uh, which of course were all uh, uh, Shia uh, uh, Muslims, uh, um, and of course they've been fighting. Uh, thousand years with the uh, Sunni, uh, um, and Sunnis had been in charge under uh, 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 Hussein, Saddam Hussein, uh, and I talked to him about, uh, uh, well, what do you think about uh, uh, democracy? Uh, oh, that's a great thing. That's great. One guy got up, cheered George Bush for the greatest man in the world for making us free, and as I asked him, well, what do you mean democracy? Well, we're the majority, and the, uh, the Sunni, the minority, means we rule, we do whatever we want. I mean, that's the concept of democracy uh, uh, over there, and I, I would ask questions about democracy and about decentralization. Uh, um, I say, well, you know, the, the Kurds are already separate there, uh, what do you think about kind of letting Anwar and uh, uh, I forget the other two provinces that are primarily uh, Sunni there? Well, what about kind of letting them be federal or separate or? Uh, oh no, no! I mean, uh, we know what we got to do. Uh, we got to tell them how to uh, do it. I mean. This is a very complicated concept, this idea of allowing people that you don't like what they do to do what they do. Uh, uh, it took the West a long time to digest it. Uh, um, so it's not so much that I, I uh, encourage people to have children, uh, but the point is that uh, it matters what kind of cultural ideas your population has. Uh, and uh, those crazy Judeo-Christian uh, uh, ideas, somehow uh, uh, freedom and separation, and to me, freedom and separation of powers is more important uh, uh, than freedom. Uh, I mean, the, the only... The, main cultural institution that that can accept this idea that there can be uh, real differences and you can still live without killing each other. Uh, so that was why I got into that. All right. Uh, we're going to have, we have uh, some time for questions. Uh, please wait to be called on we're, and wait for the, the microphone. And, uh, you know, do please try to end in a question. You know, try to keep the uh, the speech part brief and uh, actually have the sentence end with an inflection and a question mark. That would be nice. I'm going to try to enforce that. Um, yes, sir. In the pink shirt there. The blurb for the program uh, highlighted certain hot-button issues as, I guess, sort of a teaser. 
aside from the more intellectual aspect of fusionism. I'd like to ask the speaker uh, on one hot button issue. What position do you advocate or do you think traditionalists or the conservative movement should advocate regarding all of the various or pick any number of the various issues that come under the, the realm of homosexuality? What is the conservative movement's position that, that you think is appropriate to the fusionism that you advocate or, or the, the, the prospective alliance of fusionists, uh, of traditionalists and libertarians? I think, uh, first of all, I can't speak for the conservative movement. Uh, um, um, but personally, I mean, I've been a long-time advocate be <clears throat> much before it got popular of uh, civil unions. Uh, all right? Uh, what I object to is taking the term marriage. And for, it seems to me this is a something very simple for libertarians to understand. It's like me saying, I'm Coca-Cola. Right? And I can do and produce Coca-Cola because that's what my name is. Right? Uh, marriage, uh, and look, even four or five years ago, in the most modern dictionaries and encyclopedias, a marriage is between one man and one woman. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to stop two men or two women uh, uh, from doing something, but marriage is not what that is. You know, if you change the definition of something, all right. The interesting thing to me is uh, how... Uh, Justice Kennedy, who uh, uh, made the main decision on Defensive Marriage Act. Um, what, and this is mainly for traditionalists, but I'll say it here too. Uh, what was uh, his decision based on? It was not based on the main thrust of Defensive Marriage Act, which said one state doesn't have to accept uh, the other, which I absolutely agree with. Uh, uh, I think it's a federal question. Uh, but the second uh, part, the one that he uh, uh, declared invalid in the Defense of Marriage Act, what was it? It was the section on benefits, benefits under the federal government. Uh, and what did he say? He said there are a thousand definitions of marriage uh, in terms of giving federal benefits uh, to individuals. He says, I'm not going to say that certain people are entitled to these government benefits and certain people aren't. So that's why he made his decision that way. Now, what's interesting to it to me? Well, first of all, from uh, talking to traditionalists, Look how the decision, if you're worried about uh, the end result of that decision, look at the reasoning. The reasoning was because it's a thousand times used in welfare policy. And if the federal government wasn't in welfare policy, which is not in Article One, Section 8, uh, you wouldn't have this problem, all right? On the other side of it, I say to those uh, who uh, 
uh, are in favor uh, of, of gay marriage uh, is what Raimondo said. I mean, you know, you want marriage? Well, you're just asking the federal government to define what it means, uh, homosexual or not homosexual or whatever. Uh, the problem is the federal government shouldn't be in it. So my position, A, is that this should not be a federal responsibility, uh, and uh, and secondly, uh, um, I actually think it should be the uh, uh, it should be privatized. Uh, uh, how did the government get involved in the whole marriage question before uh, uh, the French Revolution? The government had nothing to do with it. You know, when you go back and try to put uh, census records together of, of what countries looked like before the French Revolution, where did you go? You went to churches, all right? All right, uh, marriage was totally a non-state business. Uh, um, and that's, I think, what it should be. Uh, I don't think the, the government should be involved in it. It should be privatized with religion keeping the brand name of marriage. I heard on um, C-SPAN uh, radio the day uh, of the Defense of Marriage Act decision, uh, uh, one of the fellows on the winning side uh, uh, one of the plaintiffs uh, got up there and he says, the most important thing about this decision is that we took their term marriage. That's theft. Libertarians are against that. Uh, Justin? Uh, thanks to you both for your presentations, and I'm going to try to ask a similar question to both of you and try to uh, foment some, uh, uh, some fireworks up there. So I think there's probably never been in my lifetime a better case for policy overlap between traditionalists and libertarians. And certainly, as has been mentioned, the Bush administration uh, did a good job of creating uh, that. And you see it with a publication like the American Conservative, which is pretty paleo-traditionalist and a publication like Reason, and if you rattled off the 10 or 15 top salient policy issues of the day, you'd have a pretty tremendous amount of overlap. So I think on the, on the particular policy questions, um, th th there's a very good case for this fusionism to be made. But I want to push both of you a little bit about the ability of actually doing politics without an overarching vision of the good. Um, and so to start with Matt a little bit, thinking about Reason Magazine, thinking about the issues it, it, it carries in your perception of the libertarian universe, which is overlaps with, but is a little bit different probably than mine. Would you say that Reason operates with no overarching vision of the good, what a good society would look like? And so if you, if you talk about getting beyond journalism and writing about public policy and actually doing politics, it seems to me that there if there is no overarching vision of the good, it's very difficult to do politics. So much of politics is about culture war, I'm in this tribe and I'm warring against the other tribe. So can you talk a little bit about 
whether you see sort of transmuting beyond writing about public policy to doing politics and whether there's a sort of glue that holds together this sort of disparate coalition um, with which we're familiar. And then to, to push Don a little bit on this similar question, and I'm going to try to, again, pit you against one another. You talked a little bit about um, the, the institutions that traditionalists hold dear, and certainly those institutions have you know, uh, uh, run onto hard times. If you talk about, as you just did, traditional marriage, it's, it's not just about um, uh, you know, whether gay people can get married, but no-fault divorce laws, the 1960s as a decade, um, the church, et cetera. So if you see those as bulwarks against, um, uh, you know, overweening government, do you see libertarian? how do you see libertarians in, or don't you see libertarians in the evolution of those institutions over time? Um. I guess I should first just warn you that I'm not very philosophically inclined, um, and it will come out uh, soon enough. Um, it's hard for people, I think, to wrap their heads around something that, um, or a, sort of a, a concept that uh, Penn Jillette, I think, best uh, enumerated, which is, I'm so libertarian, I don't even want to recommend to my friends how they should vote. Um, and I feel like that about lifestyles as well. Uh, example is there's this really interesting thing called the Free State Project that libertarians know about where all these kids are moving to, to Keene, New Hampshire and other places in New Hampshire. They want to get 10,000 people to move to, libertarians to move to New Hampshire to create this world. I, they're doing really interesting things, affecting policy and, and building weird life out there. Um, totally awesome. I would not go within a trillion miles of that place. I do not want to live with my fellow libertarians in the countryside in New England. My God, I want to live in New York. I want to live in Hollywood. I want to live in blue of blue states because that's what I prefer, but I don't want to impose my vision on other people. So the, you know, the, the good, the world that I see um, that is interesting is as simple as this, a place where people are basically prosperous, where there's not two million of us in jail, uh, and where people are free to make decisions about what they want to do, including go back to the land if that's what you feel like doing, or go the hell to the city if that's what you feel like doing. As long as you're not hurting other people, um, uh, you know, uh, regardless of whether you respect their civil rights, as long as you're not violating them, um, I tend to think that that will be a pretty interesting place to live. Uh, and it'll be just and moral, and it'll produce its own interests so that my kinky blue state fantasies can all be satisfied as well as traditionalists or anyone who wants to do something different. You made the qualification. I'm really not answering your question, but I am disagreeing. So, uh, <laughs> um, um, you made one qualification of not telling people what they do, quote, as long as they're not hurting people. Do you feel that you can tell people not to hurt each other? Sure. Well, then I think the answer to his question is you do have value question, but it's limited to don't hurt somebody. Right. Is that correct? Or, uh, you know, don't, don't pollute the commons or whatever. But yeah, all right, so he has a vision of the good. You may think it's narrow, but he has a vision of the good. Uh, and I didn't really get the end of the, uh, your question to me. 
Well, I guess Matt's telling us he isn't, all right? But I would say most of the libertarians I know uh, are not kind of the uh, the public uh, uh, version of them. Uh, this kind of you know all living in free lifestyles like Thoreau, uh, which that kind of life he's not interested in either. Uh, um, uh, most of the ones I know uh, are religious in some sense or another. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think it's impossible at all. Uh, and if I have to say if I'm more libertarian or traditional, I'm pro probably more uh, libertarian than traditionalist. Uh, for example, you know, my view that marriage should be Reprivatized, uh, you know, does not go over well uh, in traditionalist circles. Uh, uh, um, uh, but yeah, I, I I think our founders are right. I mean, the the real problem politically, and I don't think you can take this kind of neutral attitude uh, uh, on policy uh, if you can find, but. Uh, 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 not only about hurting people, but we have to really be serious that power is very dangerous. It's a coercion is a bad thing, a very bad thing. Uh, uh, and that uh, we should be passionate against uh, coercion. Uh, and it's not all right that everybody kind of goes off and does their own thing if it hurts somebody else. I think I need to make a, clarif to make a clarification. I was answering the question about, uh, you know, what is the what is the good world? What does it look like? And saying that, you know, I think it's a thousand flowers are going to bloom as far as that concerns. What do you do with policy is that you fight like hell against those accumulations of power every day in the public sphere and you seek allies who, like you, actually want to limit the size of, of government and the encroachment on civil liberties and stuff like that. Not passive, not neutral, not just living and let live, but in terms of personal choices, whatever music I listen to or whatever I do, I don't want to inflict that vision on anybody in the world and I don't want other people to restrict mine or their visions. So I think there's a, that's an important uh, difference I wanted to make clear. John. I wanted to elaborate or question libertarians uh, a bit. With the crash of uh, 08, I, I considered myself a libertarian. But I had written, I'm John Nutley, the American conservative. Uh, I had written that the, US, the government should protect General Motors from going bankrupt in 08. When there was no liquidity in the system, everything was crashing. And uh, yet there was a, libert a strong libertarian view, do nothing. Let it find its own level. They were on, on, uh, on uh, CNBC, in fact. Uh, where conservatives, if you will, uh, were perhaps more uh, forgiving of that, at least, I guess it was still under Bush, that defended, uh, that helped General Motors. The, po the point was that it would have dragged down all the uh, medium-sized companies that give inputs to the auto company. Even Toyota was begging, save it. 
uh, and the libertarians have this streak of of uh, of uh, theory. Bankruptcy? Theory. Well, no, that uh, things have to fit the theory, and uh, I I used to say libertarians are Puritans too. It's just it's not about sex. It's about living in debt and sin and running deficits, and we should pay for our sins. And uh, so be it, if everything crashed. My, my own thinking was if everything crashes, we'll be talking with, with, there'll be fascists and communists around, will suddenly reappear very quickly. Um, but there's, I throw that in, the libertarian conservative alliance of the moment uh, among many of us is not really there when it comes to some issues. And if I can add, like the communists, when, when they succeeded, it was when they had a leader who said, we don't care what color the cat is as long as it catches mice. And Chinese communists. When with us, we should be also in that, I would argue, the same kind of thinking that libertarians have become extremely theoretical in their... Uh, evolution. Well, um, I think your assumption is an assumption. It's based on uh, a faith or a negative faith, right? Um, just as mine in opposing the GM bailout is based on more of a positive faith that the system won't collapse. I think once you get yourself in a position, and this could be national security, this could be economics, which we saw definitely in the fall of 2008, um, or it could be after the, in the aftermath of a gun tragedy. You see this all the time, where we just need to do something right now, or else this unknown like apocalypse is going to come down. Once you do that, it's basically getting one of those oversized ribbon-cutting checks that you see sometimes given to foundations, and just adding zeros and saying, "Here, Mayor Bloomberg, or here, whoever, you know, do whatever you want." It's important to point out, and this hasn't been pointed out very often. Uh, Jacob Solom does this a lot. The bailout of General Motors was unconstitutional. It wasn't just, in my opinion, and not your opinion, unsound um, and leading to moral hazard and screwing over uh, the, the note holders uh, in favor of unions and all these other kinds of things. It was also unconstitutional. The Congress had a chance to vote on this. They voted against it. And they did it anyways. And they did it under the uh, Troubled Assets Relief Program arguing that these car companies were financial companies. Um, it's a problem to me that in, in sometimes process does actually matter, especially if it's, it abrogates the Constitution. And I'll let uh, Donald handle the other part. Now, I want to be clear uh, that uh, uh, most conservatives uh, are libertarian in the sense uh, that you say. Uh, uh, I mean, not only the economic market, but the social market, uh, it works. The greatest insight in the 20th century is by this guy that influenced me so much. Uh, he's named here, Frederick Hayek, was named uh, for their big auditorium. Uh, uh, that, you know, markets work. The, the problem is nobody knows enough how to run an economy. They don't. The complexities of the problem are enormous. Now, Hayek uh, reports there are 10 to the 56 power, big number, uh, uh, atoms in the solar system. Right? Pretty much. 
There's more than 10 to the 46 intercortical connection in one person's mind in one minute. All right? That's the complexity. Now, how much do we know about the atoms in the universe? Something. But mostly not. We don't know a lot about We don't know anything about this. You know, just look at the Navy Yard thing over there. We don't know the complexity uh, of this. And then you take one person, you put two person, well, 10 to the 56 power times 2, uh, and then put times 300 million, then times uh, three, 3 billion or whatever. I mean, nobody knows how to do this. And the only way we know how to do anything is by decentralizing it and letting many different people look at it from many different sides and try to see how it works or it doesn't. There have only been three times in American history the stock market has lost 20% of its value uh, uh, over a, a, a three-day period. We all know, number one was the Great Depression, 1929. Uh, the second one was uh, uh, the one we just uh, went through in 2008, 2009. Uh, and what did we do? We followed your advice. We had the experts go in and decide uh, how we're going to solve those problems. Took 10 years plus in the first one to get it started, it really wasn't until the war started uh, that things turned around. Maybe there's some argument, maybe uh, started turning around when the New Deal was cut. But anyway, it took 10 years. Uh, the current one we're still in. If you like the saving General Motors, you should love today's economy. All right? That's what the result has been. And as far as we can look ahead using this same thing, it's going to be like Japan. We're going to be here 20 years this way. Now, what makes me think that? Well, the third one happened in 1987, right? And uh, my friend uh, Ronald Reagan was in the White House. And all the economists and experts came from Treasury uh, and the Fed and the White House. All the great economists came to him uh, and they said, hey, we got to do a big program to start. This is as bad as the 19th. In fact, technically, it was about 0.2% worse. Uh, we got to do something. The whole economy is going down. Uh, 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 it's going to be a disaster. And they came up with all these stimulus programs, including uh, shutting the, the stock market down, which neither Roosevelt nor, nor Bush did. I heard uh, uh, Mike Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan's son, uh, put it this way. In 1987, uh, we had an enormous economic crash, and my father did nothing, and it worked. Hmm. Nobody remembers 1987. Why? Because the thing you're worried about is the... Uh, 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 libertarian ideology of letting it hit bottom. That's exactly the word, in fact, Reagan used. He said, if we don't let this hit bottom, people will never have confidence to go back and invest so it'll start going up. I mean, if you don't let it hit bottom, 
That's why you have 10 and 20 year recessions. The market works. And I know John many, many years and many of my friends who have this idea that they know how to make the market work. Just save General Motors and we're all gonna be fine. No, the market works by letting things fail. We'd never have any progress if things didn't fail. We need General Motors like we need a hole in the head. Right? I mean, why do you need General Motors? You have all these other car companies. <laughs> Even when the government screws it up, it's better to let them stop and let private people start putting it back together again. Let me... Uh, I'm more libertarian than you are, right? <laughs> let me take a moderator's privilege and uh, let me sketch a scenario. I'd like to get your reaction to it. Um, it's a scenario in which fusionism as a practical matter has a, a, a pretty good future, but not for very good reasons. Uh, I was thinking today about uh, a blog post from way back in you know, just after the Dixie Chicks era, like uh, in 2005 from uh, Matt Iglesias that uh, I thought was pretty insightful. Uh, it was called Kinds of Right-Wingery. And in it, he talks about, uh, you know, whether you want to talk about the conservative libertarian alliance or however you want to uh, frame it, he says some folks on the right are motivated primarily by a distrust of the state while others are motivated primarily by a distrust of left-wingers. And uh, during most of the period of when fusionism reigned, uh, there, was no, there wasn't a necessary tension between these views because the political conditions were such that if you were concerned about the state, you had to be concerned about the left because the left liberals gave birth, he says, to the vast majority of the federal apparatus. And government was usually controlled by and usually and and always populated by left-wingers so if you're worried about the state you have to be worried about the left uh, because uh, the, the the state was full of left-wingers if you were worried about the left if that was what primarily motivated you well you had to be concerned about the state because this was the most important uh, institution that the left controlled uh, writing from the perspective of 2005 when you have uh, you know, the state, as he says, mostly in control of right-wingers, you know, both houses of Congress, uh, the presidency, many of the state capitals, uh, that's when you really saw some splits in the uh, fusionist alliance between uh, the folks that are primarily motivated by concern about state power, mostly libertarians and conservative and libertarian conservatives, and folks... Uh, more motivated by antipathy to the left. And uh, it seems to me that uh, if the analysis analyses I've seen about uh, the emerging democratic majority in the uh, electoral college are correct uh, for a good deal of time going forward, uh, 
the left or center left is going to control the most important institution in the federal government, uh, this will paper over differences in the coalition on the right between people who worry about the state and people who worry about you know, left-wing cultural issues. Uh, and so is it possible, what do you think of a scenario that uh, uh, in which you have the state, the most important institution in the state, controlled by the left or the center-left, these differences are papered over, and uh, they reemerge only uh, in bold relief in the rare occasions when we have a center-right president, and so we're married and we're kind of stuck with each other, even though it's it's not ideal. I'll go first. Um, I think it it depends is is the fancy answer, uh, which is to say, uh, if that uh, remarriage happens over issues that are actually important that are actually facing us, and agree with my take on them then I'm all to the good and hopefully we'll, we can, you know, we'll see if they stick to it. I mean, if, if a Rand Paul or Mike Lee kind of version of economic policy begins to, and, and cutting government begins to obtain in the Republican Party after years in the wilderness, that I think is a good and interesting thing. I, I would like to separate that from a habit of mind that I think might also sort of comportmentally um, lead to some of these splits that we talk about. It's something that I've noticed when I talk with Jonah Goldberg or other people like that. I think people who are more into professional politics or who, who are more uh, part of a team and against other teams, they do identify with being anti-liberal or anti-conservative that wakes them up in the morning. I've never belonged to a political party. I'm temperamentally independent. Um, and that might explain my sense of distaste of that type of thinking. Um, I mean, in many ways, I think the modern left is much more disagreeable to me than it has than the left, if it is a thing, has been in a long time. But I absolutely cannot rewire my brain to say that I am waking up in the morning going against the left. I think that that, that way for me personally lies, you know, madness and also shortcuts to truth and possible alliances with people who actually agree with me on other policies that I care about. Um, so. I mean, I, if, if the spirit of the Republican Party gets controlled around these kinds of issues that we care about, confronting the entitlement state, actually cutting government, um, then that might be a, a changer in, in terms of all of that. And that might make such a, a remarriage uh, vital and good and interesting. And I think in many ways that's what Donald's hoping in his book. Um, uh, but I will remain skeptical until that happens. Well, one of the things I... Uh, in the book is to make a distinction between fusionism as, as good politics and fusionism as a philosophy. Uh, um, uh, Aaron Waldowski, a great political scientist, uh, very smart, he published my first book, but uh, uh, seriously, uh, he voted for uh, uh, Carter, uh, uh, I think, and Clinton. Uh, so he's a Democrat. But he says there are four natural types, and actually uh, Cato has done something on this in the years past. Uh, uh, egalitarians, left, uh, uh, deferentials, what we call social conservatives, individualists, 
the economic, conservative, libertarian, and fatalist. Uh, um, and he goes even so far to say the natural coalition is between uh, deferentials, that is social conservatives and, and individuals, or economic conservatives, because both of them hold an optimistic enough view of society that they don't need a powerful state to run society for them. Uh, so I think they're strictly in political terms, it's a natural uh, coalition uh, uh, and almost doesn't depend on the circumstances. Uh, um, the second thing I say though is necessary in order to keep these two apart, and they are always arguing, some of the, that statement by Russell Kirk is a doozy. Yeah. Uh, uh, although he and Meyer have some pretty tough words to say each other too. Uh, um, uh, uh, you need uh, somebody who passionately cares about both. And that's what Bill Buckley was, that's what Frank Meyer was, that's what Ronald Reagan was, that's what I am. Uh, if we're going to keep these two then with the same tent somehow, you need some t people, and I say you don't need many. I quote Lord Acton, the history of freedom has always been a minority and had to had uh, arrangements with uh, uh, minorities who aren't as sympathetic to freedom. Uh, uh, you need a small group, and I only want one out of you in the whole room here. Just uh, a very few that are passionate about both sides so that we can uh, keep this thing together in, uh, in good order. Uh, um, uh, that I think the real test for the libertarian is can they be tolerant of religion? It's very hard. Or can they be tolerant even of order? I, I do a, a thing at the end of the book talking about uh, a prominent conservative, uh, I mean, a prominent libertarian who is complaining to me about, I got some of the facts uh, wrong, but basic thrust of it, he uh, agreed uh, is right, uh, was complaining about these homeowner associations that tell you what color to paint your door and how often you have to mow the lawn and uh, all this is being uh, so uh, intrusive uh, uh, and I said, well, who did this? Well, very few governments get down to the color of your door. Oh, well, it turned out it was a, what's called a residential community association, a homeowners association. Uh, and I said, uh, well, that bothers you, but nobody forced them to go live in that, that kind of thing. You can live in a nice urban area if that's what you want, but the, the overwhelming majority of Americans freely choose to have all of these uh, restrictions on them. I quote your friend, and uh, I consider him a friend to uh, Nick Gillespie. Uh, 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 and I, we had, there was a debate years ago on the same issue, uh, uh, libertarian traditionalism, can this marriage be saved? Uh, and uh, uh, he argued, uh, uh, the problem with the Bush administration uh, uh, was that uh, uh, um, 
it, it was uh, encouraging authoritarian institutions. Uh, I said, well, what kind of authoritarian? Well, the family, church, uh, uh, institutions like that. Uh, and uh, I said, well, what if people freely choose to go into those kind of authoritarian institutions? I think the overwhelming history is at least families, you know, uh, and religion is still, you know, great majority of the American population considers itself religious. Uh, 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 well, he said, no, freedom always leads to freedom. Freedom can't lead to authoritarian instance. No, Nick, that is not true. People can freely choose to have these narrow little lifestyles that you don't like. Uh, 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 and that is really, I think, the challenge for self-defined libertarians is whether they can be tolerant of these kind of, quote, authoritarian institutions when they're not using the state, all right? They're not using the state in these voluntary, uh, in these uh, 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 um, uh, homeowners associations. That's a free choice to pick them. I married not only a Catholic, but a French woman. Um, and uh, my daughter's baptized in the church. I don't really have a big problem with um, voluntarily going into institutions. And I think that's the general libertarian view. You want to go into an institution, um, great. You know, let's not close down uh, the number of institutions, and let's not have them distorted by government largesse, which is something that the Bush administration and the kind of Michael Gerson wing of compassionate conservatism, which comes under critique here as well, um, uh, I think made the mistake of, of doing. I don't think uh, we need to goose um, our little platoons with, uh, with uh, government dollars. Thanks to you both, and thanks to you all. Let's uh, move upstairs for uh, beverages, sandwiches. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.